Welcome to the Film at Lincoln Center podcast. On today's daily NYFF 61 edition, director Richard Linklater joins us for the U.S. premiere of Hitman, a spotlight selection in this year's festival with NYFF artistic director Dennis Lim. In a wily and charismatic star turn, Glenn Powell plays straight-laced philosophy professor Gary Johnson, who moonlights as an undercover hitman for the New Orleans Police Department. Preternaturally gifted at inhabiting different guises and personalities to catch hapless people hoping to bump off their enemies, Gary begins to descend into morally dubious territory when he finds himself attracted to one of those potential criminals, a young woman named Madison, played by Adria Arona, and setting off a chain reaction of play-acting and false selves. Richard Linklater's peppy, sunlit neo-noir based on an improbable true story with a few wild embellishments, is a continually surprising delight. Co-written by Linklater and Powell, it's a cleverly existential comedy about identity that deepens in meaning as it escalates in absurdity. To learn more and get tickets for this year's New York Film Festival, visit filmlink.org. Enjoy this conversation with Richard Linklater. I'd be remiss if I didn't thank um, AGC Studios for helping, you know, helping us make this movie. Of course, and Netflix, you know, they're, they're our guys. So we're, we're so happy to be with them. And uh, I have a surprise for you guys. Actually, Glenn Powell is here. Glenn, stand up. Where are you? Glenn Powell Sr., everyone. Glenn's, Glenn's dad. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you could all, all be here. Thanks. Um, why don't we start with um, just the beginning? Uh, and you you brought out Skip Hollinsworth, yeah. um, and you had actually worked with Skip before oh, yeah. on a on a film called Bernie, Bernie which yeah. um, I think one of one of your another Thank you those who've seen it, yeah, um, a film that has kind of a certain kinship to this film. Yeah, well, Skip has a nose for a twisted true crime story. You know, I read everything Skip writes. You know, Texas Monthly is a big, big magazine in my neck of the woods. And so I was just a fan. And yeah, we had uh, gotten together in the late 90s on Bernie when he wrote that article. I called him up and, you know, we became friends and even went to that trial, mm -hmm. the Bernie trial. That was kind of an ongoing thing. And then it was a couple years later. We hadn't made the movie. We're still years away from that. But he wrote this hitman story i was like that's crazy you know it's like because yeah, i'd always heard that hitman didn't really exist i'd heard that somewhere and skip kind of confirmed it because yeah it's just totally all these people think it is and i was like what a weird i mean it is like gary in the movie he is this kind of quiet guy he taught at a college everything that's all very true to his character and i just thought that's so funny he would do these disguises and we took all that to the nth degree you know he didn't dress up the way you know glenn does here <laughs> thankfully we had more fun with it but yeah it was just such a kind of a strange strange world there but um yeah skip sent glenn called me up it was this is years later that article right. came out in 2001 and did you think it might be a film at that point yeah i remember talking to skip about it then and, you know, he reminded me, like, for a second, back there in the early 2000s, at some point, Brad Pitt had optioned it. There was a script written. I never read it. It just kind of floated around. People had optioned it. And, and then over the pandemic, during that, Glenn called me up. It's like, oh, hey, Rick, uh, you know, I read this article 
about this hitman. I said, that, Glenn, I read that article when you were in junior high. You know, I was like, <laughs> or whatever. I was like, yeah, I've, I've been on that for years. I'm friends with Skip. I don't, you know, and then um, we just started talking about it. the option, I guess, was up for the article was up for renewal, like someone could option it. And uh, we just started talking about it. And uh, we decided to leave the article in the film. We're trying to be upfront about that. We say it in the the coda at the end, zero murders, you know. The article pretty much ends when he lets her off. He meets this young woman and kind of doesn't arrest her. And so Glenn and I got to mm. thinking, you know, it's like, well, what if she kind of thanked him? What if they got together? It's like, oh, wow. And then we were kind of off to the races. That's when, like, it became more nourish and then, you know, more screwball, as you said before. It's like, yeah, it was like these genres kind of clashing and that trapped in that identity i think that's when the the themes of it sort of kicked in when we took it in a more fictional area so and and glenn is somebody you've also worked with before a couple of times and you've known him for for years yeah he actually as a he was in high school probably about 15 or 16 and i cast him for my movie fast food nation mm -hmm. i just had a few scenes in the high school and it was like yeah who's that guy he's cool it was just a, a small part but i you know i remembered him and then he came in on audition years later for everybody wants some like yep. college comedy and that's when i met the glenn yeah that's he was this like nice you know kid he had been in spy kids he'd been in a lot of movies ethan yeah. hawk had cast him in his movie hottest state so glenn was getting cast as a young guy he was special it's like oh, who's that guy you meet hundreds of people like yeah let's get that guy you know he was that guy so <laughs> but he came in as a man on everybody wants him i was like i was so relieved I was like i asked my casting director when did glenn powell get so like so smart and funny and charming. Like he had been in LA a while. I think he had found his voice, you know, let's say. And so that was a lot of fun working with him. He did one day on my previous movie, Apollo 10 and a half, he played a NASA guy because he played John Glenn in Hidden Figures. I said, you're a, you're a, you know, play the other side and work it, you know, mission control. So he worked like one day he was doing me a favor. And then, uh, yeah, he called me on this and we just, we were working on it and and I was like, Glenn, let's just write this together. You know, we're mm -hmm. sitting here on the phone three hours a day. Let's just start writing, you know, so instead of me writing it. And then let's workshop and in rehearsals. Let's just start working on it. So, yeah, I mean, he's a great collaborator, really funny, really smart. You know, the guy you see up here. So great. We hear, hear a bit more about that process, because it's interesting that you've, you've also co-written with actors before. I think obviously yeah. of Ethan and Julie in, in sure. before movies. And and if you can say a little bit about how how the was the process similar in some way? Because they're writing roles that they are going to Well, that's to why play. I asked him pretty early, because I was like, we're going to workshop this and rewrite it anyway. That's kind of how I work. I have a lengthy uh, rehearsal process where I'm just kind of, I'm just sort of rewriting, but with the actors around, you know, trying to get the dialogue just right. And people think my films are like improv or something. It's like, no, they're really actually, we're crafting that dialogue to the perfection in rehearsal. So by the time we're shooting, it's, it's what we've, uh, you know, finalized. So, uh, yeah, he just kind of came, it, it seems natural to me, you know, it, it, a lot of it's just dialogue tweaking or I don't know it's like theater you know they workshop it a long time and you keep keep working through it I need I'm a slow thinker I need all that time to kind of work it out you don't seem that I mean you work a lot so I'm not sure I'm how that translates thinker. to you the pace of production I'm a persistent thing okay. I'm, I'm not that quick you know? <laughs> Um, can you talk about, I guess, um, the other piece of the puzzle with um, casting Adria and how the chemistry seems really important with the two lead actors? Oh, yeah. I was really, I mean, that, you know, 
without her, you don't, you don't have a movie, you know, like she's, I don't know, she was wonderful. I had, I wasn't familiar with her, but, um, she kind of came up. We were looking for people in that age range and I saw her and I started seeing some movies and things she was in. I'm like, Oh, she's really special. But it wasn't until I met her. I mean, it was over zoom. I just started talking to her for a long time. I was like, gosh, she's so, she's so perfect. You know, not only like really hot, but like funny and smart. She got the humor of it. You know, all the, she had to check a lot of boxes because to be a proper femme fatale, you know, you have to like, would you give up everything you've worked for, everything your whole life, everything for her? Yes. You got to check that big box. So <laughs> not to be, you know, like, so she checked that box. And then, um, she was, she was just, they were, they hit it off so immediately. And like, I just knew we were off to the races together and we had so much fun and she just joined our team, you know, like the three of us started working on the script and we rehearsed like these scenes for, you know, so much. And she, she added so much, you know, she's, she's, you know, feels like she's a screenwriter too, you know, in that regard. The one scene that we were ta talking about just before we came on stage, yeah, we kind of need a name for that scene. Um, <laughs> what, what, what would you, what would, did you call it something? I'm, ta you know, I'm talking about the scene where yeah. he goes um, to her and coaches her with, with yeah, the, phone. the phone. He has the phone at the door. Yeah, we need a good name for that scene. It's, uh, it's but, um, really critical to, to the <laughs> film. And I think all, everything we were talking about just thematically and, you know, just the screwball nature of the film, it all sort of comes together. Yeah, that uh, was fun because it was like, that's when I think the Nora and Screwball are really just colliding in that scene. Because they're the basic uh, screwball couple who they're meant to be together. I thought it was too dark for like the noir, you know, the tropes of that genre is the poor guy ends up either dead or in prison, right? She either gets away with it or she dies. And it's like, nah, what if they're really meant for each other? You know, like that's the screwball thing. It's like, what if they actually are? They just have this little messy beginning. It's not exactly a meet cute, I don't think. <laughs> She's trying to kill, you know, but... <laughs> Or it is kind of cute, you know, we can have it both ways. And then, um, yeah, so like that's the obstacles that are keeping them apart. Like, oh, let's go that way. And so there's a couple, you know, there's a small body count by the end. But so, you know, if you're going to go dark comedy, dark romantic comedy, I don't think there's enough of those. Did you talk about that a lot with, you know, with the actors and then just that balance of dark and light? And yeah. obviously, I, you know, I think yeah. most people would not have ended the film this way this seems very you <laughs> i don't know it's like god can we do this like yeah we can do this keep going you know like yeah we just make each other laugh and whatever seems yeah i don't know i don't don't question it too much <laughs> i don't know I'm going to ask one more, and then maybe we have time to squeeze in a couple of audience questions. Um, uh, so, Gary Johnson, did you did you meet Gary? He, in the credits, you said yeah, uh, he died. So last sad. Year, yeah. He passed away. Like literally, we were tech scouting. We were that close to shooting, and I was trying to get a hold of him because I hadn't talked to him over the summer. Even I had talked to him in the years previous, as it looked like the movie might happen or might not. And I was like, I'm not going to talk to Gary again. I just talked to him on the phone several times. I mean, great guy. That's where some of that, like, he was the chillest guy. It's like, hey, we're going to make a movie of, you know, with your character. And he's like, yeah, sounds good. You know, he didn't really, he said, well, Skip says you're a good guy. Good enough for me. You know, he didn't really, he, you know, you think when you're being portrayed in a movie, your name, you would be a little more. He really, he was truly as in, like, Master. He knew about all the fictionalization that you were Yeah, I don't about. think I got into all the details, but I... 
he wouldn't have minded, I promise. Uh, uh, but uh, yeah, but it was so sad because I was like, oh, yeah, you got to come visit the set. And he's like, oh, sounds good. You know, like whatever. We talk about baseball and stuff. He was the, truly the chillest guy ever. But um, yeah, and then when I couldn't get a hold of him. I want to say, hey, Gary, it's really happening, you know. And I uh, couldn't get a hold of him, you know, as weeks went by and I called Skip and he was like, I'll call Sonny. His, he's a long time, technically an ex-wife, but a partner. They're very close. Um, and he's like, Skip, call me back. He's like, Rick, call me. Something terrible's happened. I knew right then. I was like, oh, no. And Gary had, you know, he was a Vietnam vet and it's not some kind of pulmonary disease, you know, like Agent Orange type shit where it just kind of takes you down rather quickly and at that age. So it was, it was really sad. So, um, you know, it didn't have any problem dedicating the film to him, but I just liked that it was grounded, even though the film takes that huge flight of fancy, I guess, but it, the fact that it was grounded in a real guy, this is a real job that, you know, a guy, you know, when you shoot your mouth off in a bar about wanting to kill someone, thankfully people tend to call the cops and say, Hey, there's some guy talking about, and then they have to set up, <laughs> someone's got to show up and, you know, hear you soliciting you know i get or or is it entrapment i don't know <laughs> it's a morally but uh you know but i always thought it was fascinating that just that hitmen in the pop culture that you know hitmen are this thing where it's it's so ridiculous if you think about it and i've known this for years i mean read the article 22 years ago, but I've, so I've always studied, you know, when, oh, so-and-so arrested, you know, hiring a hitman, hiring a hitman. And that Tiger King idiot, you know, he's like hiring a hitman. It's always the case, but you've never heard of, we finally caught this hitman today. We think he'd killed 15 people with a high pirate raffle from 500 yards away. We finally got this guy, you know, never, never. It just doesn't exist, you know, not that like, Sure, gangs kill people, drug cartels. Kill, I mean, it's a real thing, targeted killings, but they're affiliated. But this idea that you would just sit down like out of the phone book and pick out something, and that's the crazy part. But people are so, they're nuts. I, I, I looked at these, um, I had a lot of surveillance videos. Skip gave me boxes of his research. I'm listening to these recordings, I'm watching these videos. And man, is it, society ladies in nice hotel rooms a lot of that is just real that dialogue a lot of that stuff is just you know so i just thought that was it was so banal on one hand and just so weird and darkly funny like this person's choosing to end someone's life i mean they're not they're going to prison but <laughs> but they think they are that was like wow i don't know it was just it was intriguing and it was so weird i knew that we could kind of carry that out like that was a nice base to the movie because it was just so but the movie kind of deconstructs, you know, this hitman myth. But th this movie's not going to change anything, I assure you. People are going to still be soliciting. Even if everybody saw this movie, they'll still think they can, like, call up. But I think we should be relieved that it's not so hard to be killed by someone. <laughs> if your worst enemy gets a raise at work, you know, you'll, you'll be safe. You know. What about um, Gary's other job? Um, was he... Was he a philosophy professor? Because that yeah. really works in the film. And He wasn't a professor, but he taught at Houston Community College. Right. I think he had a master's, you know, where you don't. But everyone, if you're teaching college, they call you a professor. But uh, he loved it. He was like a Jungian scholar and just a, yeah. But that also really allows you to get into some of the themes of the film in a really playful certainly. way. 
yeah, we could really kind of have fun with that. It's it's a good um, setup if you have someone who's actually a lecturer, you can right. be on point and say all these things that are kind of thematically apt to your story. So it's a it's a good uh, setup, I guess. I'm getting the wrap up sign, but maybe if we if we keep them brief, we can probably take two quick oh, questions. Better be good. So um, yeah, okay, uh, right there. Because question about whether there were specific inspirations for the film. You mentioned the hit hitman inspirations and other inspirations. yeah since we're sort of sending it up i mean it's not i got to put in a lot of fun hitman images from movies and shows and things you like but i wouldn't put that in the inspiration that was just kind of an example it was a fun montage uh, to work on for sure um and the costumes i don't know we just kind of everybody on this movie um with the hair and makeup and the costumes tara cooper i introduced earlier she just we just went way out there. <laughs> there were scenes when, like, Glenn and her really rock and rolled on this. I mean, it was like Glenn would get out of the van on the, the day in the morning after three hours in hair and makeup, and we would just look at him, and our jaws would drop. It's like, oh, my God, this can't be happening. This guy looks so crazy. And Glenn really, he worked on all those accents, and it was a, he was reading books on like body language. <laughs> you know, he, he, he took a deep dive into all those characters. It was, it was really fun to be around. All right, we will take one final question. Question is about the contemporary setting, and maybe you can also talk about New Orleans and why yeah. there. Yeah, contemporary, I mean, from 2001 to now, you know, it's like, what's changed that much outside of technology? You know, but it's a good thing. <laughs> Actually, technology in the on the murder front, it's really hard to get away with the murder these days. Have you noticed? I really know this shit now. I mean, there's no child abductions. We're all under surveillance all the time. Your phone. So that oh, the contemporary setting almost makes it implausible that, you know, but in that case, we went back to the 2001. <laughs> like, uh, no one's going to care. But um, so it was technological was the only adaptation. But we didn't. You know, we're just telling a story, so we didn't obsess on that. And we never thought to put it in the early century. It just wasn't that. You know, we were kind of low budget. We don't want to make a period film <laughs> to, to, to such a nondescript period to begin with. <laughs> so if you can do that, go all the way with it. But uh, did that answer your question? Was there anything else? Oh, yeah, New Orleans was uh, wonderful. You know, like everybody, I'd, I've been there over the years, but it was really fun to make a movie there. And New Orleans is just the kind of town that, you know, <laughs> I, I speak, you know, the, the original story was set in Houston, but when we moved to New Orleans, it was an easy lateral move of crazy fox with, uh, you know, yeah. So New Orleans is, it's kind of the metaphor for the movie. New Orleans, the, the people are great. You know, you, you, so many, you just love everyone, but there's this undercurrent of like lawlessness and, and you get like, hmm, you know, oh, the police are understaffed. Oh yeah, so-and-so got carjacked. It's, it's just, you live in that, but you don't care because everybody's so great and the food and all that stuff. So, you know, so I don't know, it was a, it's a wonderful city. Oh, this is a wonderful evening. Um, they're proud of this. I thank you, like Rick. A... Thanks so much. Thank for you, that. Dennis. Thank you. I really appreciate it, guys. Thanks, thanks so much for being here.